Hello and welcome back to Avatar the Podcast. Hello there. You, YouTube edition. YouTube if edition. Video edition. Watching. The next step in the evolution of Avatar the Podcast that we've been doing for five, five episodes now. Yes, I still feel a little awkward because I know, you know, at its core, this is a podcast, mm -hmm. which people listen to because that's how you engage with podcasts. You use your ears and you listen. So I feel a little awkward whenever I say YouTube edition or video edition, because obviously if you're listening right now, you can't see our faces. But if you were to go over to youtube.com slash avatar the podcast, you can see us live and see our faces. It's true. We do keep poses. <laughs> that's what that was. If you're like, there was an awkward pause there. It's because we were posing uh, gracefully, yep. I might add. Very graceful. You Grace look lovely. Thank yes. you. And you, and, and you too, as did you. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Hello. And we are here with another episode of Cora. But before we dive into today, today's episode, we have more five-star reviews to read. Yes, that's right. The first one comes from Kurtman1. And they write, what an angtastic accident. When Avatar first came out, my son started watching it every week on Nickelodeon, and I spotted Appa on the TV and asked my son about it. He was in book one at the time, and every time I noticed him watching it, I would ask him about it. One day, someone gave me a Netflix membership that included two DVDs. I decided to use my DVD choice on Avatar. I got the first two DVDs, and when I finished the first, I ordered the third and kept on going until I saw it all. I remember having to do that. Do you remember? <laughs> You'd I be do like, too. All right. So if I'm on this one now and I get through to this point, I could then the first one, I can just send that over and then the third one will be there. And if I keep up the struggling act, I won't have any delays. Like a conveyor belt of sushi. Yes. Yeah. And it was yes. like you had to get it exact science and hope that no one else was watching it because they were doing the same exact thing as you are. Yep. But anyways, they continue to write. I was completely hooked. I bought all of them. I have watched the entire series two or three times a year ever since, at least 13 years now. Talking to one of my students, I teach math. I mentioned that I wish they would continue making episodes. That's when I heard about Korra. I immediately oh. bought all of the episodes available and eventually bought them all, as I'm assuming as they were released. Mm -hmm. Recently, I accidentally came across the comics and the books on Amazon. Since I knew Avatar Yang Chen came prior to Kyoshi, I bought that book, not realizing it was only part one. So I went to the two Kyoshi books, which are wonderful, uh, looking to see if possibly the second Yang Chen, Chen book might be out on Audible. I accidentally came across Avatar, the podcast. I was wondering where we came in on this one. Mm -hmm. Not to be like... You know, little, the, 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 you know, you know what I mean? But like, I was like, this mm -hmm. is a very long story. Uh, and also, I feel like a lot of people go through this as well. But anyways, they started to write, they continue to write. They, I started listening right away between all of the information you guys give, the retelling of each episode and the punniest puns I've ever heard other than my wife and myself. I quickly fell in love with your podcast. I have binge listened to you guys ever since. Also, my first podcast. I was sad. Ugh. I was sad when I r would run out of episodes, only to learn that you guys are still making them. And then there's like a billion cat smiley emojis, also known as five five cat emojis. So five. Was, was five, five, five billion. That's a lot. That's a lot, though. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for keeping it going. I hope you never stop. And then another billion, or as Acorn likes to say, five cat emojis. Curtis mm -hmm. Connors. 
in parentheses i appreciate this one not the lizard guy from spider-man just a cool math instructor just a cool math instructor i love it mm-hmm. oh my gosh thank you for that was like a a long story with twists and turns every way thank you so much for the review curtis mm-hmm. thank you and i love how the story goes along uh the same route that a lot of other people have they found Avatar. They watched Avatar multiple times. They hear about the podcast. They find the comics. There's always just like, almost like everyone's following Avatar breadcrumbs, you know? Yeah. yeah. And eventually it leads to our podcast. Yeah. I like that um, Curtis is in a very specific point in his life where he can just kind of like pick and choose where he goes next in the Avatar universe. He can just be like, oh, mm-hmm. I feel like going here because, you know, chronologically it happens first. And oh, but like, okay, I can go here. It's like, it must be really nice. It's really cool. Our next review comes from the OG Cabbage Merchant. We've heard a, a review from OG Cabbage Merchant before, by the way. I thought that name sounded familiar. Yes. And usually we don't include if there's rewrites as much, but there's a really cool... uh entry at the bottom of this review that I thought was worth talking about again. The OG Cabbage Merchant writes, To the amazing Acorn and Gracious Greg. I like that alliteration. Hi, Acorn and Greg. Thank you guys so much for making a top-tier podcast. I'm currently watching Legend of Korra with my family, and I can't wait till you guys review it. I'm on season three, and it's so good. And I am loving the comics. My top five favorite characters are as follows. Number five is Toph. Number four is Katara. Number three is Zuko. Number two is Iroh, and my number one drum roll for the amazing, toftastic, guitarific, the one and only Sokka. Mm-hmm. Good choice. With about one billion exclamation points. Or five. It's definitely more than five. This <laughs> time. More good, than five. good try, Greg. Good try. <laughs> Love you guys so much. More exclamation points and a bunch of heart emojis. Hello, fellow Avatar fans. And I'm guessing at this point, this is the previous review, right? Uh, that first part was the free previous review. This middle part, I don't remember, but then there's like, there's more edits to come. I see. Yes. I see. Okay. Yes, yes. So we're, we're adding layers of review here. Yes. Hello, fellow Avatar fans. I thought I would edit this because you guys are going on a break and I wanted to let you know how awesome it has been reading through the comics with you guys. I've read them before, but you got me back into them. You are both amazing and I hope you enjoy your break. I'm sure I'm speaking for everyone when I say you guys deserve this break. Much love. It was a very good break. It was a good break and it went by so fast. Like you said, when we first came back, I don't know where the time went. I don't either. It went out the window, apparently. Okay, now this is probably the part you're talking about because they continue to write. Another edit. This is a poem that I wrote about this podcast because I love it so much. P.S. My mom had to help me. I'm not great at punctuation. Anyways, here we go. Avatar, the podcast. A place to find a community of fans who are kind with insights and humor they explore. The world of Avatar and so much more. From Aang to Korra, they cover it all with humor and wit they never fall. The Avatar universe is their playground and their love for it truly profound. So if you're a fan of bending and lore and want to explore the world even more, tune into Avatar, the podcast, and be enchanted by its magical broadcast. Isn't that so good? That's amazing. Are you kidding me? We have a poem now? That's so good. Oh, oh my gosh. OG Cabbage Merchant, that was that was wonderful. That was thank you good. so much. Also, OG Cabbage Merchant's mom, thank you for helping with the punctuation yes, and being a part you. of that. Absolutely. Appreciate it. You know, as far as reviews go, those those were some really good reviews. Thank you. Thank you so much. You were really good. We have a couple more coming up in the following weeks that were pretty good too. But this, this poem really just like set it over the edge for me. Like, I really mm-hmm. liked it. 
I think it set it set my weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's that's the vibe that I want for my weekend. Just, just poem. so good. Good just, poems. Yeah. Yeah. I good hear poem you. vibes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you haven't written a five-star review, you can do so over on Apple Podcasts, which you can access on, of course, any Apple devices. I think you can also sign in on the website. Um, but as we have discussed more than once and as we have uh, expounded upon, we cannot read your five-star review unless you have written it. Mm-hmm. So if you want us to read your five-star review, head on over and use your words. That is how the written language works. It is. Yeah. Use your words and have them be kind words if, if, if you're mm-hmm. feeling that, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yes. You can also remember we have polls now on Spotify and Q&As. The Q&As are set to just kind of yes. like, what do you think of the episode? Because like, I can't think of a better Q&A other than that. People can just kind of like say hi and like leave with their thoughts and, and such and keep it general. The polls have been very specific and they've been very interesting. They've been more or less one-sided, but mm-hmm. that one-sidedness, it's getting more even is what I want to say. I don't know why I was trying ah. to be fancy about it, but like ever so gently, every single Q&A, it gets a little bit closer to 50-50, which is pretty oh, funny. Oh, I see. So yeah. is, that just, is that just you fine-tuning your questions? For the for the polls? No, I think we're just. Well, I mean, like the first one was very hard. Is was Cora a jock? And I eventually mm-hmm. changed my mind too. Is yes, she's a jock. I was I was conflating, admittedly conflating the idea of a bully and a jock together, and that shouldn't be the case. Is a very antiquated way of thinking about it. I understand that. I've changed my ways thanks to the podcast. But the, I think the second one was: Do you think that Mako and Cora are uh, Zutara 2.0? 2.0. And a lot of people say, like, I think it's like seventy something percent are saying yes. But that, but it's like almost thirty something percent that are saying no, which is a huge improvement over the previous yeah, week. Yeah, that is interesting. So it's it's been kind of interesting to think. Like I thought it was going to be a very similar vibe to. Um, the jock question, but it's not. So it's very interesting. I'm, I'm really liking this idea of being able to see what people think. And it on the YouTube, you can do these polls as well. Uh, but it's just cool. I just like yeah. it. It's, it's kind of like last week we were talking about um, how we wish we were able to see the commentary when yes. the show was first coming out. It's almost like a way of us like re-experiencing that ourselves. It is. Yeah, kind of. All right. Well, let's jump into today's episode which is the spirit of competition, or as we like to call it. Cora goes for it. That's right. In more ways than one, which is why those, as we like to call it, work so well when we can get a couple layers of meaning into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As the last couple episodes have gone, this is written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Kanetsko, directed by Joaquin Dos Santos and Ki Hyun Ryu. We're getting better, but we're still not perfect. The episode starts in the pro-bending gym where the fire ferrets are practicing. They're barraging each other with their elemental attacks until they simultaneously knock each other out. Laughing, they agree that it's nice to be able to practice again in spite of Korra's new task force responsibilities. Asami arrives and delivers their new uniforms with the Future Industries logo on the front. And Korra cringes at her and Mako's lovey greeting. They like rub noses (laughs) all like sweetly. Bolin romantically hints... Uh, when Mako and Asami leave at him and Korra being the only two remaining in the gym, which, you know, we're alone. Just the two of us here alone. And Korra does not really pick up on that or she does and she drops it immediately because she quickly leaves the excuse of airbending practice with Tenzin on Air Temple Island. There's some foreshadowing and some interesting stuff going on just in this intro Mm -hmm. right here. So there's like this triangular formation that they kind of have 
but when they're training mm-hmm. and that kind of foreshadows this love triangle between the three of oh, them true. already. Very interesting. I feel like I'm actually kind of feeling, to be honest, a little bit of whiplash between the two storylines right now, between the A plot and the B plot. And which just for well, I, listeners, I guess, what like, define the A plot and B plot? A plot for me would be um, Amon and the Equalists and all of that. And the B plot for me personally would be the pro bending stuff because I still don't like it very much. It's very like it's just not having the right vibes for the underdog team that's going all the way. Like I love a good underdog sports movie. I'm not a sports guy, but like the Mighty Ducks, <laughs> the replacements, like yep. all of that. Like it's great. But this has just been hardball is another great one. Uh, this one has just kind of been like, uh, and maybe mm. it's because I'm more invested in the Amon stuff. But I feel like we've been getting some really good Amon plot. And now we're back to, hey, I'm glad that we're finally getting to practice as a team. And I'm just like, oh, it's going to be one of those episodes, isn't it? I see what you're saying. And I think if I were to look into that, I think the reason it feels like whiplash for you is because of the amount of time that's dedicated to each thing. It's it's less like um, woven finely and more like structured in big chunks. Like obviously we we got a whole episode of pro bending and romance and love drama and love triangles and all the things um pro bending stuff. Meanwhile, I'm I'm thinking back to like after the last airbender and it feels like each episode touched on about five different plots on average. Well, okay, I, I take that back. Three plots on average, up to five because we would check in with with all these different characters from different parts of the world and like do little touch touch points yeah. whereas I think the pacing of Korra is a little bit more uh, chunky yeah. because we're focusing so much on two, two main plots and we're dedicating the time to them and we're not hopping back and forth as much. Yeah. I also think we're, at least I'm more used to the, the structure of Avatar The Last Airbender where mm-hmm. it was A plot, B plot per episode, not necessarily per season. And this is a little more compact because of the lack of episodes and yeah break even said in the commentary for for this particular episode that they didn't do a lot of the quote-unquote fillery stuff because they just didn't have time and the fillery stuff is what people enjoyed most about the first series it's it's that character Mm. building it's the stuff that while it doesn't contribute to contribute to the overall plot it contributes to the character development except for the great divide yeah like Toph, for instance yeah the whole arc of meeting Toph. i mean they went to the swamp they had the vision they went to the earth kingdom uh heard about the pro bending tournaments um heard about Toph's family met Toph's family like it, it was just a lot it was a lot of like side story yeah for us to get Toph part of the gang so I think that's a really good point. Whenever it starts off with this, and I feel like it's going to be a pro bending episode, I'm just like, and I, well, granted, we're only five episodes in, but I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, fine, let's, let's hope that something interesting happens, I guess. Because like last episode was super like PTSD heavy, and it was really like in, in exploring Korra as a as a person, and it was really interesting. And now we're just like. Well, Bolin likes Korra. Korra likes Mako. Mako likes Korra, but is really with Asami. And it's just kind of like, oh, I'm fine. Yep. Yep. Little soap opera Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. But at the same time, and I think this is something we're going to fall back on um, consistently, 
the pacing is different because I think in the back of their minds when they were writing this, they were thinking one season, one season, one season, one season. That is true. You know? Yeah. Like I'm sure that affected a lot of their decision making uh, in writing this season. And, you know, that's like a whole other, that's a whole other tangent. That's like a can of worms that I get so heated about when writers have to write to like executive and uh, channel expectations. Like they can't just write the story and be creative. They have to like think about what if it gets canceled? Yeah, that that is obnoxious. Bryke, at least for me right now, feels like the type of creator that kind of needs to know when the ending is and they need to like have that reassurance so they can do the best work they can possibly do. Uh, because if they're like yeah. worried about getting canceled or if they're worried about anything else, it's just going to suffer. Well, anyway, that night while giving Pabu a bath, Bolin casually asks Mako what he thinks of Korra as a girlfriend. Responding that she is great, Mako tells his brother that he thinks Asami makes more sense as a girlfriend for him at the moment. Bolin protests, saying he was referring to himself. And Mako quickly tries to recover from his statement by saying like, oh, well, you know, Cora's nice. She is maybe not great girlfriend material, but it's more like a pal. Bolin is shocked to hear this and announces that he and Cora are perfect for each other. When he concludes that he will ask Cora out despite what Mako thinks, his brother tells him that dating a teammate is just not a smart idea, especially not during a tournament. Seemingly agreeing with his brother's statement, Bolin mutters to Pabu that he was talking about real love, something he does not think Mako understands. It is just bizarre, the backtracking that Mako does. He's like... with Around Korra? Around Korra. He's like, oh, she's great, yeah. great girlfriend material. What do you get? But like, I'm just with Asami, so I can't. It's just too much. I can't. It's not right. I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a good guy. And then his brother is just like, I meant for me because you have a girlfriend leave leave the ladies for 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 everyone else yeah and then he's like oh no she's not girlfriend material so he like is like yeah she is no she's not and it's not good backtracking it's just i don't know yeah it's a it's a lot of understated emotions with these characters um a lot of like implied feelings with mako Mm -hmm. um him being like interested but then distracted with the sami but then also like still wanting to keep Korra almost open and not engage with anyone else, Ugh, which is why he was, he was I like hate that so much. Yeah. I'm dating someone, but at the same time, I kind of like this person. So uh, you, should, you shouldn't date them. The backup. <laughs> yeah. The, imagine, imagine the hubris that you would have for the avatar to be your backup. <laughs> that's okay. Okay. That's another thing that actually kind of bothers me. The fact that, the fact that being an avatar, being the avatar is such a huge part of Korra's identity and a huge part of her story and the way that she like sees herself in the world. Mm-hmm. But for everyone else, she's just like a regular person who just happens to bend more than one element. Yeah. I feel like, and this might be a commentary of the times because back in Aang's time, the avatar was this mythical figure. It was something that, you know, transcended nature and was like, you know, truly the bridge between the human and the spirit world and all this important stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the modern day, there's so many other distractions and culture is really like starting to um, to kick off and there's progress and, and success everywhere. Like maybe people just think of the avatar as like, you know, a relic of the past and more well, like a person than anything. Interesting. Um, I'm going to disagree, not with mm-hmm. what, your observation is because like, I agree with that. But I th- yeah, what are your thoughts? I think what 
makes Aang different from Korra is that in any other avatar, Aang was missing for a hundred years. So I think that what we saw with Avatar The Last Airbender and that like attitude towards the Avatar of like, oh, it's this mythical being like, oh, it's this deity almost, right? Comes from his absence and not necessarily his role because we haven't read the Yang Chen or the Kyoshi books yet. But yes, but what we've seen from all of them from flashbacks, what we've seen from the Roku episode, Mm -hmm. they were also very like integrated into society and they weren't as highly regarded as Aang was in Avatar The Last Airbender. Right. I mean, Roku palled around with the Fire Lord until, you know, they split ways because the Fire Lord ended up being super evil, it turns out. Um, Imagine. But also like, they... Uh, I don't remember the the name of the town right now. You'll have to excuse me for that. But Kiyoshi was on trial for murder. (laughs) Like you wouldn't do that to, you know, someone who you viewed as more than. So I I think that we're getting back into the fold of like, yeah, the Avatar is this almost religious figure for, for lack of a better term. But it's kind of old news now. And granted, as well with technology forming and all of that, there's more exciting things kind of going on. But I I think that we saw the exception in the first series. And the norm is kind of what's going on with Korra. That's a really good point. I I didn't consider the whole being away for 100 years. But I think that does play a really large part in Aang being the Avatar. Because everyone's like, oh, the Avatar. We haven't seen this around in you know, two generations or, or whatever, two or three, depending on, you know, lifespans. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's actually a really good point. And so I think that's also maybe a bit jarring for me in watching the show, because if we are back to the normal, the normal way that people interact with the avatar's existence, it's, it's strange to be here after seeing the Aang saga. Yeah, but it logically makes sense. But you know, as a viewer, we we've been talking about this whole like subconscious thing. Like they're they're keeping with um the different bending styles being based on martial arts and all of these things that are based on like real world concepts that we um see, recognize, and then remember when they use it again. I feel like it's one of those subconscious things where it just it doesn't it doesn't feel familiar. That part doesn't feel familiar, and so it's a little bit jarring in my brain. But there's a logical reason for it. Meanwhile. At Air Temple Island, Janora asks Korra about the tall, dreamy firebender boy, as they have been spending a lot of time together lately. Trying to act casual, Korra brushes the question aside, claiming that she's not an interested in Mako at all. You know, besides, he's dating the prissy, beautiful, elegant, rich girl. But after a moment, she makes a face that reveals she does actually care, and then asks the girls what she should do next if, you know, hypothetically, she did care about Mako. Janora references a saga she recently read, telling Korra she should do what the heroine did, burn down an entire country and then leap into a volcano, which, according to Janora, is so romantic. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. Janora's my favorite kid. Yeah, I like Janora a lot. (laughs) I love her. Bookworm, quirky. Mm -hmm. It's so, so fun. I love the fact that she was reading. And this is so cool, too, because um, I'm I'm pretty sure this is a reference to like um, classic... Uh, Asian Chinese sagas because this is such a classic like uh, 
you know, folklore or mythology kind of kind of story. And um, I love the fact that this little girl is reading this saga with these like mel- um, borderline melodramatic romance stories. And she's like, ah, oh, so romantic. She also reminds me very much of a, almost like she could be Aang and Katara's daughter. Like she's like that yes. perfect mix of the two. Like Milo is very much the chaos nature of Aang incarnate. But uh, Janora oh, seems to be like a good mix. And I wonder if Brike really wanted to explore Aang and Katara's kids more than they got to because of the time jump. So they're kind of making up for it here because we, we don't really know much about Pema other than yeah. what we're about to find out in a couple seconds. But like she's been a little bland on the character front so far. She's shot tens and some dirty looks. We've gotten like a taste of personality from her, but nothing like Mm -hmm. we've gotten from Tenzin himself or even Lin. We got more personality out of Lin in five minutes than we did out of Pema, who I think we've gotten more screen time out of so far. Yeah, which is why I was really happy about this scene because we got to learn more about her background. And it Mm -hmm. kind of like, in a strange way, reminded me of Ursa's backstory. Just how like... Yeah, the concept of this like really dramatic love story in one of the older characters past, you just would never know until they revealed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get to Pema, we have to talk about Iki because Iki also has some advice for Korra. Iki announces the best way to win a boy's heart is to brew a love potion of rainbows and sunsets that makes true lovers sprout wings and fly to a magical castle in the sky where they can get married and eat clouds with spoons and use stars as ice cubes in their moonlight punch. Forever and ever and ever. When Cora responds that the volcano is starting to make more sense now, the group is startled by Pema's laughter. Yeah. <laughs> I also love Iki. Um, to actually play into what you were talking about, about um, um, the kids' personalities, I do think that that was probably part of what they were trying to do because these are Aang's grandkids. Yeah. So they are part of his his family and his family line. And so I bet they are, I bet they were like playing with the concept of the personalities. And I love the the difference between them. It, it seems so far, the younger they are, the more chaotic they are. So if mm-hmm. like I feel like it's and that's not like an age thing. I think it's just like the chaos gene is just getting more and more dominant with each kid that Tenzin has. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> that means. Emma's going to give birth to like a pure tornado. <laughs> a literal tornado. A literal, because they, Kotara said it was going to be an airbender, another yep. airbender. Yeah. Oh no, poor Pema. <laughs> Embarrassed, Cora asks how long Pema has been standing there, to which the woman replies, long enough. Pema then tells them about her own relationship experience, telling the story of how she was in love with Tenzin while he was in a relationship with another woman. She goes on to say that it was unbearable to see her soulmate spending his life with the wrong woman. So she confessed her love to him and the rest, of course, is history. Cora considers her words with a thoughtful expression. I have a, you have a theory, theory about this. to pose that I've already talked to you about briefly because yep. I couldn't help myself. Let's hear it. Pema tells a story about how she basically stole Tenzin from another woman. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible that other woman is none other than Lin Beifong? Yes. 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 Me too. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Me as well. Yes. Because when we when we first saw Tenzin and Lin together, both of us were like, Yeah. 
The tension. Is, is that? Yeah, there was there was a vibe going on there. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Palpable, the tension between those two. Yep. Like, yep. it's interesting that Pema uses the term soulmate as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would love to be naive enough to think that Tenzin thinks the same, but I can't say that for certain because I really think that Lin is his soulmate. I really do. Oh boy, we just got, we just moved into... We moved into shipping territory. We moved into shipping territory. Dangerous waters we're in right now. Very dangerous (laughs) waters. I, you know... I'm inclined to agree with you. So, so far anyway, granted, we've not I, seen all mm-hmm. of it yet. Everyone remember, but mm-hmm. it's just, mm-hmm. it just fits. And I'm still chewing on it personally to yeah. see if it's just because they're the children of the original gang. And some parts of me just really wants them to stay like, to like that generation to kind of like continue. Yeah, like insular. Yeah, but I'm I'm still chewing on it. I don't know what it, what are your thoughts on that. I think I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think I see it too. I I completely believe that Pema believes that Tenzin is her soulmate, and mm-hmm. I I I would believe that Tenzin is her soulmate, but maybe just maybe because we're looking at triangles here in this show. Yeah, maybe maybe Lynn is also Tenzin's soulmate, and we're just looking at a, another triangle. I don't know. It's all very confusing. It's giving me a headache, but <laughs> it's just... It's making me excited to watch the rest of the show. I know. Show. Me too. Me too. That as well. But like, it makes me sad for Lynn. I know. I Poor know. Lynn. Also, I really hope we find out what her her family, her parentage situation is. Because while Toph is an, an amazing, you know, single mother figure for us to know about, I also want to know where... And also, Lynn is a freaking carbon copy of, of Toph. It's true. <laughs> She's a clone of Toph, practically. Um, I want to see who her dad is and what kind of aspects and characteristics she got from her dad. So hopefully we'll find that out later. Hopefully. I'm not holding my breath, though. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Well, getting back to the story and away from shipping territory. For now. For now. It's finally the day of the tournament in the Fire Ferrets face off against the Red Sands Rabbaroos in the opening match. The fire ferrets managed to defeat their opponents with ease, syncing perfectly with each other and displaying a lot of improvement since the first time they fought. After the match, Mako comments that they were really connecting out there, and Cora takes the opportunity to address her feelings for Mako. She casually agrees, but that she feels that the two of them have been connecting, you know, outside of the ring, and maybe that's where they should spend more time together. Mako doesn't take the hint, forcing Cora to blurt out her feelings, exclaiming that she really likes him and feels like they were meant for each other. Mako admits that he doesn't feel the same way and he's with Asami anyway. Embarrassed, Cora tells him to forget she said anything. And of course, Asami arrives and congratulates the team on their amazing victory and she gives Mako a kiss on the cheek, making Cora even more uncomfortable. Bolin moves in to ask Cora out on a date, which she initially declines, saying she doesn't feel very date-worthy. She's very bummed out about Mako right now. <laughs> but Bolin instantly challenges this, telling her she's the smartest, funniest, toughest, buffest, talentedest, incrediblest girl in the world. Flattered, Cora accepts his offer, admitting that she could use some fun. The two leave on their date, leaving Mako to watch after them with a bothered frown. If you look at the anime, the animation for Mako isn't like 
super detailed in this scene. But mm-hmm. Reich said on the commentary they were trying to do something that it just came across too it was too subtle. Um, mm-hmm. He is conflicted between Korra and Asami, and he genuinely does like Korra and Asami. And he gives this look while he's still staring into his locker. It's a, it looks mm-hmm. like a blank stare to me, but after hearing the commentary, I can kind of see it. He kind of like, it, I don't know how to put it, but his, his expression changes slightly. And then okay. he kind of rejects Korra. Hmm. Like he, he kind of knows it's coming and he's conflicted and it changes a little bit. And then he like, he does what he thinks is the right thing to do. Okay. Because he's also in a very difficult spot too. He genuinely likes Asami, but also Asami's dad is footing the bill right now. Yeah, so that puts him in a really weird spot where he kind of has to keep dating the yeah the boss's daughter. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise <laughs> who he knows? Makes, he breaks the boss's daughter' heart. Yeah. The the boss pulls out his support financially, and then they're all you know yeah up a, yeah. up a creek. Yeah, so it's it's he is in a tough spot. His that doesn't justify his actions, especially his mentality, especially that like the avatar is my backup girl because you should not have a backup girl. That's no. incredibly terrible. I was going to say, in my opinion, but mm-hmm. no, objectively, that's terrible. He's navigating tough waters, and he's still a kid. He's still a teenager. Yeah, he's like, you know, uh, yeah, 17 or something. 17, 18, he's Still very much like a that. kid, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he watches them leave, is very conflicted about it, but we're going to switch over to Cora and Bolin's date, because they actually have a really fun time. Mm-hmm. They go to Naruk's seafood, seaweed noodle, oh my God, this word, Naruk's Seaweed noodle noodlery. Say that six times fast. No, I'll leave that to to you. <laughs> <laughs> or any brave listener. Anyone. Brooks yeah. seafood noodlery, where they enjoy an authentic water tribe noodle dinner. Something Cora admits she's been missing. Um, also, I'm going to pause right there and just talk about. I love this this parallel between Cora's world and our world, where when cities are built up, when you have places that really explode and you have a bunch of people move in, inevitably you are going to have multiple cultures represented. And it's so cool to me to go from the world of Avatar, The Last Airbender, where Katara and Sokka are having like, you know, a moment about this authentic uh, seaweed prune, sea prune stew or something. And Aang's like, Mm -hmm. to present day where Bolin is not water tribe, but he genuinely loves the water tribe grub because he just has been exposed to it. You know, like back in the day, people who have never had Indian before maybe thought that it was really strange sounding. And now like normal people who are not from that culture love Indian and all the other cuisines. Bolin uses this fact that they both adore water tribe food as another reason they would be so great together as a couple. Cora notices how someone across the restaurant is glaring at them. And Bolin identifies the person as Tano, the White Falls Wolf Bat's waterbender. Bolin tells Cora not to make eye contact, but it's too late. Tano notices them and comes over to their table with his gang of followers and begins provoking Cora. Eventually, annoyed by his suggestion that he could give her some private lessons on how to bend like a pro, she stands up threatening to fight him. Bolin whispers a warning to her, saying that if she does fight him, they will get disqualified from the tournament. So after a moment... Cora whistles for Naga and the polar bear dog sticks her head through the window and roars at Tano, startling him into a cower, which Bolin loves. Mm-hmm. I love. 
Yep. I think everyone loved. Yep. Did Tano sound familiar to you? Mm-hmm. He should have, because he is played by none other than Rami Malek. All right. Tell me, tell me where he has starred. The, I was waiting for a look of recognition on your face. I didn't get it. Uh, but, I'm not good with names. Okay. Well, then after I list off everything that he's done, not everything, but the things that I think are, are notable, I'm going to mm-hmm. get that look and it's going to be super satisfying. Okay. I didn't know this at first. Rami Malek's first credited role, according to IMDb anyways, is Gilmore Girls. But he's also been in BoJack Horseman. He's been in Blackout, which is a newer series. The movie Amsterdam. The video game Until Dawn. The Uh uh, HBO series The Pacific. The Queen biopic movie Bohemian Rhapsody. And last but not least, the show that made him famous, Mr. Robot. Oh. That's the look I was looking for. That's where, there it is. There it is. As Mr. Robot? As the, the main character. The titular character? Titular character, <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait, backtracking. Who mm-hmm. did he play in BoJack? I don't know. I didn't watch BoJack. I didn't look at that. Oh. <laughs> See, I love BoJack. I know. I gave that's it three awesome, attempts though. and I couldn't do it. Yes, yeah, so that was one of those things. I heard it and I was like, that's super familiar. And I, I've not known Rami Malek to be a voice actor. So I yeah. had to like kind of like go into the IMDb afterwards and see. And once I saw his face, I was like, that's brilliant. There's actually a funny little uh, anecdote that Janet Varney shared on the commentary for this. Uh, when he recorded his lines, he sat super close to the microphone and he spoke super quietly. So the audio technician had to like open up his mic even more than he normally did. So if you kind of listen, it sounds a little off. Yeah. Um, and it caused this or created this feeling amongst the other actors where they were just always like creeped out by him and they're like, he's so skeevy. And I think that was very purposefully done by Rami, like using some microphone techniques that I don't think a lot of the other voice actors were using. Um, wow. So he sounds you know? super loud, but super quiet at the same time. And it's this, it's this unsettling effect that is perfect for Tano. It is. It is unsettling. I'm thinking back to the episode and when he's talking and he he really does have that like under under the breath kind of speech. Yep. But it's still like fully loud. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. That's mm-hmm. cool. It's a fun fact. It's it's really cool, yeah. Um I forgot to mention this about Pema too very quickly. Yeah. Uh Pema was casted by Brike because they didn't want a typical sounding mom character, which is kind of unfortunate because I think she sounds like a, a typical mom. Uh, but she, Maria Bamford is actually a stand-up comedian, which I did not know. Uh, and she did a private stand-up routine for Brike because one of them was her friend. And they said the word friend very oddly. So it makes me think that they were, if not in a relationship, maybe a little more than friends. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, she did a, a private stand-up routine. She was like practicing for Brike and a handful of other people. Uh, and yeah. they cast her just off of that. Oh my gosh. Off yeah. a comedy routine yep. for Pema? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So I think we're going to get more of a personality from Pema in the next episodes. Or if not, sooner yeah. rather than later. But I'm looking forward to that. Mike and Brian are some of the the rare creators that try to give as much like homage to 
concepts and people and characters as much as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, already knowing that, I can kind of see the the base layer of comedy in Pema's character. I'm thinking back on everything she's ever said so far in the yeah. show, and I, I can see potential there. So I'm excited. Well, after Naga scares the crap out of Tano, Tano and the rest of his group leave, much to Bolin's amusement. Cora and Bolin then enjoy the rest of their date, ending the night on Harmony Tower, where they look out across Republic City and all the sparkling lights. When Cora makes her way back to the pro bending arena for their quarterfinal match, she finds Mako awaiting her on the stairs at the entrance. He asks her what kind of game she's playing with Bolin, as he is convinced that she is only going out with his brother to get back at him. Cora points out that they are only having fun while wondering why would Mako care anyway? Mako says he is only watching out for his little brother and doesn't want to get his feelings hurt by Cora. Cora claims Mako is jealous and challenges him about his feelings for her, trying to get him to admit what they really are. Their argument dissolves into them shouting at each other before they each storm into the arena. This is a terrible way to start the night when you are about to go into a, a pro bending match. Hey, Mako. I don't know if it's at that part yet, but I'm freaking sorry. I love that part. <laughs> I love it so much. Sure enough, their argument does affect their next match against the Porcupines. Mm-hmm. All semblance of connection and synergy ruined, and they quickly lose the first round. Not knowing about the argument, Bolin encourages them to get their heads in the game, and the team narrowly wins the second round. After the third round ends in a tie, Bolin takes the tiebreaker himself, noticing how distracted Mako still seems to be. In a quick but fierce match, he successfully defeats Cheng, the Porcupine's Earthbender, winning the match for the Fire Ferrets and securing a place for them in the semifinal. Hora and Mako talk after the match on the docks outside the Pro Benning Arena. They bicker for a bit until Mako tells her he thinks she is pretty amazing, to which Cora asks him directly, do you like me? Mako surprisingly is honest, saying he does, but he also likes Asami and he calls the whole situation complicated. But this is enough for Cora. She launches herself at Mako and kisses, kisses him passionately. And Mako returns her kiss after a moment of surprise. But of course, but of course... It is terrible, terrible timing because when they break apart and they look behind them, they see poor Bolin standing there holding a bouquet with the saddest look on his face. And of course, like a, a stray breeze of wind comes through and starts like blowing the petals away I from know. the bouquet. It's so melodramatic. <laughs> it is. It is. The young earthbender stands there and he bursts into tears and then runs off. I really like what Bright is doing with this particular love triangle. They know the fans love to ship. Like we're, we're addicted to it. Like I, I, I can't help it. I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of people, other people can't help it. We were just talking about Tenzin and Lynn. We, we can't liter- help it. We literally got a story that doesn't mention anyone other than Tenzin and Pema. And we interjected Lynn into that based yep. off of a look of a still uh-huh. image. Practically. That's how stoic uh-huh. they were from the first episode. Yep. What they're doing here is actually very ingenious. They are removing the shipping of Cora and Bolin mm-hmm. with Bolin's reaction. So far, like you could be like, I was not, I'm not, um, what would you even call that? Cor, Colin? No, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Bora? Bora? That's that not great awful. either. <laughs> but, no. Like I, I was never on e- even before this moment. I wasn't really yeah. on board with that. They're just both Sokka 
And you can't have Sokka yeah. date himself. That's I love Sokka. That's obnoxious. I'm sorry. That would be a lot. That's a lot of Sokka per square inch right there. But um, uh-huh. what they do is they have Bolin witness something that is truly heartbreaking. And they make his reaction comedic. Right. And that, for me anyways, and this might not signal this way for other people, but for me... It shows like, okay, this is a crush. It's not a serious relationship thing. They're right. not soulmates. This is Brike saying, this is not a real thing. Don't worry about it. Look, it's funny. He's just, he's crying like a toddler. Like, what, look at him go. And he runs off. And the way he runs yep. off is even comedic. Because it would yep. be very easy. It would actually be easier from an animation standpoint to just have Bolin like drop the flowers and like, turn towards the wind and walk away in silence, but they don't do that very strategically. And, and I appreciate that. They're trying to manage expectations and I think it's working. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And like it, we, we've, we've had a lot of love so far in these first five episodes. So this, you're right, with one look essentially knocks out one of the pairings and yeah. narrows things down. And especially now that Cora and Mako have kissed, yeah, that's going to take center stage because now... Mako's going to feel conflicted and guilty Mm -hmm. around Asami. Mm -hmm. Korra's going to feel expectant and possibly a little guilty around Asami. Like it's, it's now shifting the focus to the love triangle of Korra, Asami and Mako. And for me, I don't know if anyone else felt this way, but that kiss right there was very reminiscent of um, Hang and Katara kissing an Ember Island players. Yes. By eliminating a pairing, they're doubling down on this pairing uh-huh. by saying like, hey, look, they're kissing like Aang and Katara kissed back in the s- series you all love. And also, look, this temptation here is not serious. Look at that. So now we only really have one triangle to worry about as opposed to yep. two or more. Yep. And, and I don't want to say it. it's a spoiler, but like, <laughs> I'm not going to say it. We're going to move on. We're going to move okay. on. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Just in case anyone okay. hasn't finished it or because we I know we haven't finished it, but like uh-huh. hasn't been bombarded with in a good way with what happens to Korra eventually with a love uh, life right. that never right. happened for stupid reasons. Ah, uh, yep. We're going to talk about that. Yes. At length. When we get there. <laughs> when we get there. Absolutely. Um, that's also that's also honestly distracting me because I know how things end up. I know. And so I'm like, I'm looking at this and almost like checking the authenticity of it. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It it's does. like, it's like, are these just, you know, teenage butterflies? Are these just like, you know, little love hormones that are distracting and making things complicated? Do you really like him? Like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it, it started out, what's the word? I guess authentic. Because she does truly like Mako. She is really conflicted about it. I keep on trying to headcanon my way around it with the future knowledge that we have. That's it, it, That's a really good way of putting, that, putting it. That's what I'm trying to do right now. And it's like, maybe she just loves the game and he is, in her mind, the embodiment of the game of pro-bending and that's why she thinks she likes it. But like... That's not really representative in what we've seen so far. I'm just lying to myself is what I'm doing. And I'm fully yeah, aware of it. Maybe we're trying to complicate it too much. Maybe this yeah. is like truly a high school type romance where you just, you see someone who's cool and you're like, I like that person. 
you know, cool recognizes cool. And then a crush forms the end. I have a couple of notes about Mm -hmm. the, hey, Mako guy. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love him so much. He's my favorite character in this whole episode. Uh, Spoilers, he will be my MVP because he's just amazing. There is kind of a name for this character. Kind of. Okay. The fans have been calling him Moff, M-O-F. And it stands for Mako's only fan. It's the (laughs) only fan that Mako has ever. So he's actually voiced by the co-executive producer and uh, I think director on a couple episodes. He definitely directed Avatar Last Airbender, Joaquin Dos Santos. He's not credited at all. Um, But Dos Santos saw the drawing of the character standing there and he kind of made a small joke about it. I'm assuming in, in, um, what's it called? I'm not thumbnailing storyboarding in the storyboarding mm-hmm, phase. Mm-hmm. And he made a joke about how it would be. It seems like that guy is just excited to see Mako before getting shut down. So like, he's like, Hey, Mako, Mako slams the door on his face. Essentially. He's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> That's so good. I love Moff. He's just like my favorite character. It's like the same thing. Bright does this brilliantly. It's that like stupid side character that's there. It's the foaming mouth fan, right? It's it's that same deal. They just get this guy. You never you never see him again. You'll never know his name, but he adds so much to the scene. So we're going back to this moment of drama and pain and heartache because Bolin runs off and Mako runs after him. The next morning, Mako goes to Naruk Siwunut. See, mm, here we go again. Here we go. Maka goes to Naruk's seaweed noodlery, knowing he'll find his brother there. He asks one of the employees if he's seen Bolin, and the man points to a table by the window. Mako sees his brother there, slumped over, sleeping between stacks of empty noodle bowls with Pabu sleeping in a bowl itself. <laughs> he's like... He looks like he's drunk in a tub. (laughs) So good. And you know what it's a callback to? What? In the King of Omashu, when uh, Momo Uh gorges himself on on food. I forgot about that. Yep. Yep. That's so good. Oh, man. There's really cool behind the scenes trivia that is hilarious. And it shows what Bryke has to go through on a day to day basis with Nickelodeon. Ooh, really? So Nickelodeon originally wanted to cut the scene of Bolin being Mm -hmm. noodle drunk, for lack of a better term, because it's like too adult. Like it's there's inebriation that doesn't go with the the kids kind of like network that they're building or they have built and Mm -hmm. are successful with. Right. And then Bright goes, cool, but SpongeBob did it. So basically, whenever anything happens that. Nickelodeon's like, you can't do that. Bright looks to SpongeBob and see and to see if they do it. And they probably have, if not worse. Oh so, my gosh. So at that point, Nickelodeon was just like, all right, fine. You can keep it in. But they were really against this whole inebriated state of Bolin. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. And I mean, that's really funny because I watched the Orange Years recently and um, they've done worse. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm they've, sure. they've covered worse topics or more controversial topics in the past on as a network. So that's mm-hmm. that is funny, but good for Mike and Brian holding yeah. their 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 uh their positioning and finding ways to get around it because I really do think it adds. It's so Bolin it too. Is. 
Like, you know, we just learned that he loves a water tribe food and he goes on a date there. So it's almost like, you know, he just had his heart broken by Cora. So he goes back to the last place where he shared a meal with her and then basically just picks out <laughs> and eats his feelings. It's and it, perfect. He eats so many noodles. They're literally coming out of his nose. And then other places. <laughs> other places, bit. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, Mako knows his brother well enough to know he was going to be here. So he, sure enough, he finds his brother slumped over, sleeping amidst his empty bowls of noodles. And um, he tries to rouse Bolin, but Bolin begins to cry hysterically again and calls Mako a brother betrayer. When Mako tries to remind him that the upcoming match is one of the most important matches of their career, Bolin refuses to come with him. And so finally, fed up, Mako throws Bolin over his shoulder and carries him out of the restaurant telling his brother that he did warn him that dating a teammate was a bad idea. Telling your brother that dating a teammate is a bad idea after you kiss said teammate I in front of your brother. I told you so. And he's a giant hypocrite. And I hate it. Yeah. I yeah. It. Yeah. That was definitely a hypocrite moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good thing Mako has that one fan. Yeah. He's not, he's not making any in this episode. I'll tell you that much. Later that night, Cora finds the two brothers already dressed for the match in the locker room. So Bolin is hunched over in sadness and Mako is completely ignoring her. The fire ferrets take to the bending platform and go up against the bowling buzzard wasps. But their synergy is still broken and the fire ferrets are quickly pushed back to the third zone. They narrowly manage to avoid a total knockout due to the time running out. After losing the second round, Mako and Bolin give up hope. Cora tries to encourage them, but the brothers are quickly knocked back a zone in the next round and Bolin takes an earth coin to the shoulder, resulting in an injury. He and Mako are then knocked out of the ring, leaving Cora to face the entire enemy team by herself. And this is where they don't outright reference the fact that she's doing airbending movements. Mm-hmm. But I think it's implied that all of the training that she's been doing on Air Temple Island in conjunction with her bending training has made her just incredibly lithe. And she's so quick on her feet. She's dodging every single attack. She's going up against three players and actually somehow managing to not get hit by anything. Um, so I think I, I like that concept where we've seen her when she, the very first day that she started learning pro bending, when she was doing that little lesson in the, in the gym to now. Yeah. Huge, huge visual difference. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I like that they went through the whole rigmarole of showing us how she learns, at least circle walking, how she's learning airbending, because mm-hmm. what they've done is they've reinforced that in our minds, in our eyes, so we can pick it up when she's doing it. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. And like, did you ever have this thought of where airbending would fit into pro bending? Like, I feel it's weird. Like, they just, like, I know. Right now, the only airbenders right now are basically Tenzin and his family. But like at yeah. some point, they're going to have to adapt that sport <laughs> to include the no. fourth element. I never did. I never did think of that. It does, all I can think about is like, so like Cora can only waterbend, but like at some point, I like I can I feel like me at least Milo. Yeah, it's not Iki as well oh is my going God. to want to partake in the sport in oh like my 10 God. years <laughs> wait 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 yeah <laughs> i i <laughs> i need i need fan art of milo grown up as a teenager <laughs> in a pro bending uniform <laughs> he would 1000 yeah. percent be a pro bender absolutely <gasps> he would like oh would love it so like i don't know 
if this is something that Bright has thought about, or if they're just like yeah. airbending is kind of like more holy than the other three elements, so they don't partake in in these festivities. But I, I can't see that. Like at least with Milo, like I just see him wanted to compete in like ten to fifteen years or whatever. Yeah. Well, at the same time, we know that the Air Nomads had a festival of games. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, that's true. So of course they would participate. Yeah. I would say arguably that maybe they were the first pro benders. Uh-huh. They invented airball. Mm-hmm. So yeah. There we go. Um, my to answer your question though, I think they would have to either uh create a different sport adjacent to pro bending that included air bending, or they'd have to rehaul the entire thing, maybe do more of like um I don't know why the first thought I have is like a square arena, kind of like a tennis court or like a football arena okay. or something. Yeah, yeah. So you have a whole or or volleyball, for instance, actually. Mm-hmm. Like volleyball, you have a, a rectangular field, and then you have basically your four players on either side just moving around as they need to. Okay, okay, hold on. Yes. But also, uh-huh. what if they just added um like the airball pegs? Yeah. Around <gasps> the entire existing pro bending. So yeah. that, that means a, there's like another layer of not getting knocked out when you should be knocked out. Uh-huh. But B, maybe only the airbenders can navigate on that, on that. Maybe a bright. Okay. Now, okay. Ideas. Okay. Now, so, now yeah. we're going in, now we're going into Quidditch territory. <laughs> that, and I love I it. Thinking of. <laughs> I don't even I like Harry it. Potter. And I was thinking about that. <laughs> Yep. No, that would be amazing because then you you have you have like an updated version of pro bending where yeah you have um, the air ball posts all the way around and it's almost like um, like the beaters from yes. Quidditch. They're they're the ones who um, who interfere with the gameplay with their sneak attacks. Yes, and so what you could do with that right is the air benders can either focus on trying to negate the other air bender, yes, or focus on trying to mess up the other team. Yes. They can either um, interfere with the other airbender. Mm-hmm. They can uh, negate the attacks on their own teammates, or they can offensively attack the other team. Yes. There are three options there. Nothing but ideas over here. It's regular. I'm losing my mind. I'm losing- <laughs> this, is, this is so good. I really hope they do that. I hope so, too. Jeez. <laughs> also, I need to see Milo growing up I know. in a bending uniform now. That's that's on my bucket list. I can't even picture what Milo would look like growing up right now. It's like that episode of Rugrats where they show yes. Tommy Pickles as an adult and it's just his head on an adult body. That's what I see <laughs> with Milo. Oh my gosh. Okay, before we get, before Please. we fall further down Please. the pro-bending rabbit hole discussion, let's get back to the story. Yes. We, we just left Cora basically facing the entire team all by herself. Mako helps Bolin out of the water and the two brothers apologize to each other um, on their way up the elevator and they're, they're standing there on the lift watching Korra dodge every attack the buzzard wasps throw at her. Finally, with 10 seconds remaining, the buzzard wasp players line up in a single file line. They just happen to move in the, into that position on the other side of the, of the court and Korra launches a water attack and basically knocks all three of them into the water in a spectacular knockout which wins the the game for the fire ferrets. When Cora rejoins her teammates in the locker room, Bolin praises her for the knockout, claiming it to be the coolest thing he ever saw. And Mako thanks her for not giving up on them. Cora agrees that, you know, things got confusing between them, but hopes they can still be friends. They're all just kind of reconciling and they all forgive each other. At that moment, though, the White Falls wolf bats enter the locker room for their match. 
And Tano, of course, starts taunting the fire ferrets. Cora tells him, yeah, well, if you win, we're going to face you in the final and it's not going to be a big deal. We're going we're gonna to beat you easy. And he just kind of laughs and keeps on going. Asami, as usual, enters the locker room to congratulate them. And also, Cora was the bigger person here and she goes out of her way to say thank you uh, for you and your father sponsoring our team. Like you're the only reason we're here at the tournament. So thank you and this and that. And then Bolin, poor Bolin from the side is like, okay, guys, um, so great and all, but I'm in pain. I need medical attention. And Cora goes over there and starts healing him with water bending. And she, I love this little aside. She mentions that she learned from the best, Katara, on how to heal with water bending. I feel like this is a little heavy handed for me. Yeah. yeah. It's a good reminder because we've only seen Katara like, you know, a brief moment in the, in the, in the tundra, basically. Um, so I, li- I liked it. It was a little aside. And also, I guess if anything, it sets up the concept of Korra being a healer in the future in case anyone gets in trouble. Like this could be, this could be something that could get called back on, um, you know, later. Yeah, I don't dislike that it was mentioned before everyone's like, oh, Greg just doesn't like Katara. He's just being Greg again, not liking Katara. It's not the case. It's just the writing of it felt a little like, I learned from the best, Katara of the Southern Water Tribe. Savior of the world, ender of the of war. Of the world. <laughs> Wife of the former Avatar. I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 It okay. just, I don't know. Like, it could have been, I think, massaged, for lack of a better term, a little I bit see, better. I see, I see, Or no, wait, massaged, pun intended, because she's uh, massaging his wound. Uh, here's your pun for today's episode. Bolin resists the healing at first, but then is like, ooh, yeah, that's that's hitting the spot. This is actually helping. But at, at that moment, they hear the, the bell declaring that the game, the match has ended. And all of them are like, wait, already? That was so fast. And they look out onto the arena and the wolf bats are the winners. And the other team that they went up against are basically taken out of the arena on stretchers. They are not looking good. Cora and the rest of the team are shocked by this quick knockout and the sight of all of the seriously injured players. And they kind of had this moment where they're like, oh boy, this is what we're, what we're looking at in our future. We have to go up against them. The end. Two really quick points that didn't fit in literally anywhere in the episode, but mm-hmm. I think it, some people might find it interesting. This is the first episode that Tenzin doesn't appear in. Oh my gosh, you're right. No Tenzin. Unfortunately, yeah, we still talked about him. We still talked about him quite at <laughs> length. Yep. Uh, this episode also initially included some dialogue in which Asami offers Korra uh, some skin products and remarks how she is looking forward to spending some girl time with the Avatar. Did they cut that out? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's weird. It's like I'm glad they. Cut I'm that glad out. they did. It's- I don't think that would fit with the the all the emotions of this episode. It's also very gender yeah stereotypical gender specific like wow Mm -hmm. we're girls and we have similar friends so we should be friends and do each other's nails and hair and skin and like it just doesn't fit with Cora as a character and maybe that's the point maybe she would have had some like "Eh, maybe not kind of because also she likes her boyfriend and all that but like it just doesn't fit with the vibe that's going on so I'm I'm glad that got cut that's it those are those are the last two that I have okay Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, Greg, I have to hear who is your MVP. I already told you. It's uh it's Moth. Hey, For those Mako. who are listening. 
for those who are listening, immediately I put my hand up to my ear, uh-huh. like, let's hear it. Let's hear about Muff again. Hey, Mako. He just like was a breath of fresh air for me for this episode. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I cannot. It's it, he hits me in a primal area of my sense of humor <laughs> that I just can't describe or articulate uh-huh. accurately. Look at it from Moff's point of view. He's been standing there waiting for Mako to like stop talking to his teammate. So in his mind, he can be like, hey, my name is Moff and I'm your number one fan. Mako, yep. can I please have your autograph? I think you're wonderful in these ways. What comes out? Hey, Mako! <laughs> <laughs> and Mako doesn't want to hear anything about this. <laughs> he is having the most difficult struggle of his life right now. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's wonderful. I can't, I can't even think of a serious MVP because I just love this individual so much. Yep. Well, but, I'll go for the serious MVP yes, then. Uh, it's got to be Bolin. Okay, why? Because Bolin won the tournament for them to get them into the semifinals. He stepped up when Korra and Mako were getting all mixed up in their feelings and all inside of their heads. And he's like, listen, guys, we got to do this. And so he stepped up and said, you know what? I'm going to do the tiebreaker. And then he won the game for them to even get them to the semifinal game. Also, the poor guy, you know, he stepped out on a limb. He asked the Avatar out on a date, had a great time, and then had his heart crushed. And yet, at the same time, he's still playing the game and trying to be the best player he can be. So, you know what? He gets MVP for that. It just dawned on me that Mm -hmm. Mako is the only person in this episode who's not had his heart crushed. Well, Asami hasn't gotten her heart crushed yet. Yet. I said in this episode. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And what about the moral of the episode? The mo- this is a tougher one for me. I-, I have a funny one. Go for it, please. Don't date your teammates or your coworkers unless you're both incredibly emotionally mature. It just ends badly. I would say don't even do it if you are emotionally mature. <laughs> I've seen it done. That's why I say I'm emotional. I've seen it done idea. successfully. It's still kind of awkward, but there are some people who can manage it. Yeah. It's just generally not a good idea. Yeah, this just seems like a bad idea. I like that mm-hmm. one a lot. Mm-hmm. But there, there's another side to this. And I think that's the, the moral that I'll go for. Okay. Which is sometimes you just got to take a chance. Oh, I like that. See, you have the funny MVP. I had the serious MVP. Yeah. I had the funny moral of the story. You had the serious moral of the story. Yeah. It's just, I feel like that's the only other moral that you can take out of this. And I, I yeah. guess, you know what? If you combine our two morals, it's that sometimes, no, not sometimes, all the time. There mm-hmm. are repercussions to your actions. So Ooh. think yep. about it. There we go. Yep. Three completely different MV, not MVPs, moral of the episodes that kind of negate each other if you think about it for too long. They contradict we give, each other. <laughs> we give mixed t- signals like that. That's, That's what just what we do. That's what we do. Yep. Uh-huh. And we talk about talk about shipping that hasn't even made made an appearance yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it. It's just there, waiting for us to pick at yep. it. Yep, yep. Uh, anyway. Yeah. We hope you all enjoyed today's episode and our ridiculous conversation. Of course, surely next episode is going to be a little bit more serious because that's how this pacing seems to be working out. Yeah. In the meantime, though, if you're all caught up on our episodes, you've gone over to youtube.com slash after the podcast and subscribe to us there and watch our beautiful faces posing again. Hello. That's not a pose. I just, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> 
<laughs> just lifted this, your hand. This, Hello. Hi. High five. I didn't even do it the right way. Hand. I did it with my palm facing. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you can catch more of this nonsense uh-huh. over on Twitch, where you That's can fine. find Booster Greg where? At twitch.tv slash Booster Greg on Monday and Friday evenings. Don't worry about Wednesday evenings. Nothing ever happens on, on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd love to have you. We've had so many people coming through, not just on my stream, but also on Acorn's stream, which is where? Twitch.tv slash Acorn Bandit. Uh-huh. That's right. And it's whenever she feels like it. Where I have no schedule. No schedule. I just go live. So Chaos. It's wonderful. Yep. It is. It is wonderful chaos. I'm mostly role-playing. I'm also sort of, kind of, almost working through Red Dead 2. Uh, Red right. Dead Redemption 2, which I think I might be playing that today. Ooh. Um, yeah. So... Anyway, you can find me over there where um, basically, if you don't know, I just I role play in a Red Dead based server. So I have a character who's a nice little writer and we go and have conversations and we have a fun time. If anyone doesn't know what Red Dead Redemption is, it's Western, the video game. The, the Wild West the in, wild video, West form. in video, video, video form. game format. It's <laughs> very good. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Um, and, and I will say this. I, I've never said this before. If you can't quite catch us at our stream times because you live in a completely different time zone. Mm -hmm. Um, We do also save our streams in a video format that you can also access on Twitch. So if it's just like, I know I'm on at like 1am starting time for UK people. Yep. I usually, I usually mean always save it. If not the day after the day after that. So you can watch it. You can see what the the vibe is. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. If it is for you, you know, you can keep on watching those. You can, you know, whatever you want to do. But there are ways to enjoy that content as well if you wanted to. Yes, that's a really good point. Basically, just go to the video section of any Twitch channel and you can see the VODs or videos on demand from Mm -hmm. past streams. It might also be called highlights just to make it more confusing. Yes, yes, yes. But. Until next time, we hope you catch us on Twitch. You go write your five-star review. Mm-hmm. You subscribe to us on YouTube. Do all the things. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com slash Avatar the Podcast. Yep. Patreon.com slash Avatar the Podcast. Love our all patrons. Yeah. And thank you for everyone who has stopped by to say hello to us on Twitch. Thank you for all the five-star reviews so far. We really appreciate it. It's, yeah. as we said before, it's just Greg and I sitting in our, our houses in a vacuum so without your interaction, it really wouldn't feel like we're doing this That's right. for anyone other than ourselves. So we always appreciate you reaching out and letting us know. I'll, I'll say this. I'll make a bold statement before okay. we do our, our non-syncing Avatar of the Podcast outro. Uh-huh. I don't know if we would still be doing this if it wasn't for all of the support. I feel like we probably would have ended after the main series if we even made it that far. Yeah, I so agree. That's that, is not that, a, that is not a bold statement. That is an accurate statement. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys. You guys. Yeah, you. You you, right there. Sitting there. You. Looking quite handsome and or beautiful. Yes. Mm. It's you. It's because of you that we're still here doing this. So thank you. Thank you. All right. That's it for today, everyone. We will see you next time on Avatar. Avatar. The the podcast. podcast. Did you like how I waited for you? (laughs) Greg! (laughs) Bye. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.